It's Ram season, which means it's time to serve with Ram 1500, Ram 3500, and Ram TRX. Hurry in now for great deals on the trucks that are built to serve. Right now during Ram season, get 10% below MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Ram 1500 Laramie. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. Contact dealer for details. Take retail delivery by 531-23. Hot sunshine, lifted dust and sand, certainly on the cards. A brisk wind still blowing along that uh, eastern side of Saudi Arabia. A few showers there into central and more so western parts of Takir as we go through Saturday. Nudging a little further eastwards as we go on through Sunday. South of that, tad cooler just around the Levant. Pleasant warm sunshine at this stage. Plenty of hot sunshine continuing through the Arabian Peninsula. Highs here in Doha of around 43 degrees. So touch warmer than it will be in Cairo, but 40 Celsius, still plenty warm enough. A little on the dusty side there. That dust just laying its way across the uh, Sahara. Plenty of showers through uh, Central Africa, right across West Africa. Big downpours over towards uh, Liberia and Sierra Leone. Some thunderstorms certainly rumbling away there across southern parts of Nigeria as per usual. Plenty of showers right into the heart of Africa. Not too many east of the Rift Valley. We will see some wetter weather pushing its way into Cape Town. But to the north of that, it's largely dry. How do states control information? It's controlling the narrative through dominating the media. How does the narrative inform public opinion? An enormous spy balloon. It might not be the most important story about China of the day, but that's what the public pays attention to. How is citizen journalism reframing the story? The Listening Post dissects the media. We don't cover the news. We cover the way the news is covered. The latest news as it breaks. Of the billions that are being spent to make the network better, experts say investments are needed in technologies that make our trains safer. With detailed coverage. They will likely remain in the hospital for the next two to three weeks as they advance in their recovery process. From around the world. They say they are progressing from the south, advancing around a kilometre away. been waiting for is here mom may be feeling excited anxious hopeful all at the same time it's a rush of emotions for her or it may be an emergency baby is coming too early than expected so many things happen in the few hours minutes days when baby signals is readiness to come to the world it's different experiences for different women today we're talking about delivery here on The Baby Doctor with me, Bernice Abubedulansa. You don't want to miss any part of today's show. I'll be back to introduce you to my guest and we delve into the conversation. Do stay.
Thanks for staying on The Baby Doctor. This is the show that brings you all the information and knowledge on your baby. Today, I've been joined by Dr. Paddy Ayete, and uh, he's been helping us with all the information we need. It's, it's such a, a pleasure to have you here. I love talking to you, Doc, and thank you for sharing your knowledge with us all the time. He's with Elemas Health, and much later, I'll tell you how to contact him. But, Doc, today we're talking about deliveries. It's is the real deal that's the the moment we've all been waiting for the climax of the nine months even though it doesn't end in nine months for a lot of women but what usually signals babies readiness is the labor right is different experiences for different women what exactly is labor and when do we know we are getting there okay so for the pregnant woman um, usually she would notice a pain pain in her back or associated with the tightening of her tummy. Which, you know, during pregnancy, later part of pregnancy, you have a little bit of those, but in no particular order, it just comes and goes and comes and goes. But this time, the pain is rhythmic. So it comes, then it goes away. They notice that ah, 30 minutes later, it's back again. Another 30 minutes later, it's back again. They realize the fact that, no, every 30 minutes, I'm having this pain. When it's consistent like that, then you know that labor is starting. The next stage is that the time between the contractions, as we would call it contractions, becomes shorter and shorter. So you notice your tummy is getting hard, and then after a while it gets soft. Then the next time it gets hard, maybe in 30 minutes. But after a while you notice that, ah, instead of being every 30 minutes, it's not every 20, then every 10, then every 5. In most places, or where transportation is adequate, would say when the contractions are every five minutes, set off from wherever you are and come to the hospital. We say that in the confidence of the fact that labor takes maybe about 10 hours from the first pain till when you, you deliver. And we say 10 hours because the cervix dilates from zero dilation mm. all the way to a 10 centimeters. It's approximately one centimeter per hour. Um, so that is for the typical person. Pain in the back, pain over your tummy or in the lower tummy, and the pain is rhythmic, episodic, and then after a while, it's, you, it becomes serious business, and they come to hospital. For some other people, however, they don't have that pain to start with. Mm. All they notice is... The baby of has water. a... Okay, why? Okay. A gash of water. Right. And so they are the ones who will first notice, the water, my waters have broken, and there's no pain. Or as somebody told me on Sunday... I'm urinating, but it's not stopping. Oh, okay. Right. Because that's how she felt when she started mm. to pee, and all she knew was that, ah, the urine is not stopping, it's just continuing, yeah. So that actually meant, you know, she had ruptured membranes. So in that case, too, we say, come to hospital. And our, because our concern is that there's a risk of infection. And, and, it, and we don't want to put anything inside there until we're actually trying to deliver you. For most of those people... Once they rupture membranes, give them a couple, after 12 hours or so, within 12 hours, they will start contracting and then they'll go into labor. But because of the risk of infection, we like them to come into hospital um, earlier so that we can control the circumstances mm. around. Mm. So, for, for, so generally, that is labor. Um, and there's something that we call show. And show is the release of the mucus plug. The mucus plug is what co keeps the cervix blood so that external organisms cannot continue to enter to affect the baby. When the cervix dilates, the mucus plug becomes loose. 
and it comes out. Okay. And it's, it's bloody, it's blood-stained, and it's like a piece of, like, like mucus. And that comes out. That usually precedes the labor. So most women would see that first, before later on they start having the pains, before the pains get intense, and before they, then they have their... Is pain. there an estimated time between when you see the, the mucus or the show, yes. and when you start going into labor? Not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Some people's own last days, some people own last only a few hours. So everybody and their... It, it appears for women and labor, everyone's story is different. Mm-hmm. What's accounting for that? Well, we are all supposed to, people. We the we, we know that you have contractions. We know those contractions are painful. Um, but people differ. One in their in their perception of pain. So somebody may have a small amount of pain and they are shouting. I used to have a patient who be doing aji 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 aji. Then one time, hand was on her tummy. She started contracting, but she didn't say aji. Then we realize the fact that oh, not all the AJs are proper AJs. Some of them were fake. <laughs> Attention seeking AJs. <laughs> she said, Oh no, this is a real one. This is a real one. <laughs> you had a good laugh about that one. Yeah. But so some people have a higher, a lower pain tolerance. Okay. And so the small amount of pain they have, they make quite a fuss about it. Some people have a higher pain tolerance and therefore they make, they, they can withstand a lot of pain and bear themselves in a very lady-like manner. One of my friend's wives, a very big woman, came in labor and was lying there in the hospital bed in her jeans in Kolebu. The midwife came and looked at her and said, it hasn't started yet. When it starts, you throw that jeans away. <laughs> <laughs> and she truly told me that when the pain started, she didn't give a care. She didn't care about anything. Mm. All she wanted to do was to be free. So she, she indeed threw the jeans away. So, um, then there are those rare people who don't feel pain at all. They don't feel any pain. There's one woman whose first pain was when the baby is about to come out. Mm. So if she's in labor on your ward and you don't monitor her, the baby will come out onto the floor. Because the first time she feels pain, it's baby's coming. Right. Could could this be... And then there's another one I met who has no pain at all. Beginning to end. Even when the baby comes out? Nothing. Wow. All she tells you is that I think it is coming. Then you deliver the baby and she gets up and she's done. Wow. Interesting, isn't it? But, Doc, I'm just wondering if this has anything to do with age, for example, how well you exercise. Because, you know, usually you're told in the olden days when a, a lady was nearing her time, the, there's a belief that if you allow her to pound fufu or exert some level of energy, it helps in pushing the baby out. So I don't know if that is re- in any way related to how someone is able to withstand pain uh, when it comes to labor? Maybe not pain per se, but the ability to cope. Because the fitter you are, the more resilience you have, the more you are able to withstand the circumstances under which you are are in. So a woman who has exercises, has got good muscle tone and things of that sort, is more likely to... The new Chevy Silverado HD puts you in command. Own strength with its enhanced available Duramax 6.6-liter turbo diesel V8. Own the lake with its available advanced towing technology. And own technology with an available 13.4-inch diagonal touchscreen. The new Chevy Silverado HD. Own work, own play, own life. Learn more at Chevy.com. Find new roads. Chevrolet.
Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to Golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo taking release. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to Golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's G-O-L-O.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who have found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh, yeah. Love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingarona, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. Withstand the stresses of that occurrence than the woman who has you know, very little exercise at all. Um, um, something actually, there are things that actually do work, especially for those who want to have their baby to come a little bit quicker. When you're trying to induce labor, you put some medicine over there. And the medicine's job is to soften the cervix and maybe even start contractions. That medicine is called prostaglandin. That same prostaglandin is in sperm. Okay. So when the old ladies say, if you want the baby to come quickly, around that time, start having sex, yeah. They were oh, not so that's not a myth? Oh, no, no, no. It's true. Mm. It works. I know a doctor who actually <laughs> was told by a midwife that take your wife home and go and have sex with her and bring her back okay. because she was post dates. So the doctor actually listened to the midwife, took his wife from the hospital home and brought her back. She went into labor that night. She was planned for induction the next day. She went into labor that night. True story. Wow. We're learning some things here, aren't we? All right, Doc. So, I mean, there's a lot of things to discuss when it comes to labor. Um, is there a right way to endure the pain? And I'm asking this because of sometimes what our mothers tell us and all the things we hear about how best you can. And even in other countries, you see that maybe the woman is given a soft ball to sit on, maybe allowed to sit in water, um, you know, is there, is there a way to do it so that even though it's painful, like you say, it's easier to cope with? There are coping mechanisms. There are things that we can actually do to help you to withstand the pain. Um, one, having a support person, having somebody who you are familiar with. So a family member, a doula, somebody who is going to sit beside you throughout the entire process. Um, that person to, to can act as an advocate for you. So that person supporting you and encouraging you throughout the process allows you to, and keeping you distracted, talking to you about various things that will take your mind a little bit of the pain. That person also acts as a coach to help you do what we would have been telling you to do, which is the breathing exercises. That during the contraction, focus not on the pain, but instead focus on your breathing. And uh, if you are doing that by yourself, it gets a bit frustrating and you get tired. If you have a coach who's encouraging you, hey, it's time to breathe now, Let's do, and they are breathing together with you, it keeps your mind of the pain and allows you to cope with it, you know, a little bit, a little bit better. So that indeed plays a, a significant role. Mm-hmm. Um, the ball, for instance, the exercise ball, um, sitting on that ball and bouncing on it keeps you distracted. 
also helps widen the pelvis. So it helps, you know, relax, relax the pelvis a little bit, give it a little bit more space, to, encouraging the baby to descend further uh, and faster. And, you know, that whole business of lying on your back throughout labor is actually not ideal. It's actually not ideal. Being able to sit on a chair against the back of the chair, with, like, so wrong way on the chair, yeah. facing the back, mm-hmm. and leaning over the back, and your support person rubbing the small of your back throughout the, this really helps with the pain. Um, um, I was telling you earlier about hot water and mm. its beneficial yeah. effect. Mm. Being able to stand under the shower with the hot water just hitting the small of your back where you're having the maximum pain and just stay there 30 minutes, 20 minutes, even longer in hot water like that really helps to, to, to ease the pain. Mm. And then for those who can uh, have a water bath, the fact that you're in a, a tub or a big bath with hot water surrounding you also improves the way you, yeah, the, the way you perceive pain. So all those things help you to manage your pain a whole lot, you know, better. Mm. Then, of course, we've got the medical interventions. Uh, we, we like the toys. So the doctors come and there are varieties of things that we could do. In the UK, they give you a mixture of gas, a, a gas mixture, oxygen and the nitrous, that you breathe. And you, the patient, the mother, you control it. So you just, when you, when you feel pain, take a puff. When you take the puff, it makes the pain go down or the perception of the pain go down. And then you, do, you don't need to puff again until the next contraction comes. Then there are other interventions like an epidural mm-hmm. where we put a small tube in your back and then we take the tube all the way here. We put in medicine and then every few, like maybe every 30 minutes, every, we keep asking you about your pain perception. When you think usually after maybe three or four hours, the pain will come down, then they top it up a little bit so that your pain will be managed until it's time to, to labor. And there's a one-shot spinal where we put in similar medicine but in a different concentration in the back there. But that one lasts for about four hours. And you can top it up easily. Like you can top up the epidural. So there are various methods by which we can, we can manage um, pain. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go through all... I, I, women amaze me how they can actually say, I want to go through this raw. I'm like, hey, are you serious? Mm. Me? Oh, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Yeah. It's too much. I'm not carrying this for nine months and going through that pain to one. It's okay. Mm, mm, give me mm. as much as you can give me. Load me. <laughs> With interventions to reduce the pain. I think when it comes to the medical interventions, we are getting there. But the other ones you mentioned is where I think generally uh, we are lacking in, in terms of allowing a support person to be there. Because, you, Doc, you can imagine in our public health facilities where one, they are inadequate facilities. They, we are even overstretched as staff. We don't have the time to pamper and massage you and, you know. So I, I, it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the importance of these things, especially for women when they go into the, into the labor ward. But let's now look at the types of birthing methods. Um, I remember chatting on a story about the squatting method um, in other parts. I'm told in Israel, for example, it's... It's very used um, where women don't lay on their backs. Usually they're allowed to use... Is there a chair or something of the sort that allows you to sit and, and push? Just run us through the, the birthing um, methods. And well, what we have here, mm. or it's most common here, is to lie on your back. If you're not lucky, the bed is flat. And so, uh, technically, it's actually against gravity. We are trying to drop something down and we put you on a flat surface. So we have eliminated the advantage of gravity in that process, which is not the way we should do things. Um, so that, but that is what unfortunately exists in quite a number of uh, places. Then we have the inclined, where if you're lucky enough or fortunate enough, the delivery bed allows you to incline. 
where you are almost in a squatting position. They are not really squatting and leaning forward. You are still leaning back, but you are up. Your head is up, your chest, your torso is up, and then your bottom is down. And then you allow you to, to push, and your legs are on stirrups, allow you to push and to deliver. Then there's a squatting method. The challenge with the squatting method is that you need the patient to be high up for the, you, the clinician, to be able to go beneath and assist in the delivery of the, of, of the baby. And because it's technically a little bit um, challenging for the back of the person who is doing the delivery, mm. if you're an older midwife, you're not very enthused <laughs> in having to bend like this under somebody. And when I went push, you're not pushing hard enough. It's not exactly yeah. easy. However, for the mother, that would have been the easiest way for the baby to just come out. Because in that position, gravity is working at its maximum. She was both of the squatting position. Her legs are wide apart. Her pelvis is tilted at an angle that will allow the baby to come out. It's actually physiologically the best method to... to the same thing like they tell us that when you are using the toilet, your legs should be flexed up. Because yeah. you actually... It's, it's a more physiological position. So that would be nice if we could get more people to deliver that way. But uh, the logistics of it and uh, a little challenge that comes with it. But with time. Mm. With time, I guess we'll be working on that method um, a, whole, a whole lot more. Then there are those who deliver underwater. Yeah. And, 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 and we see that a lot. In fact, from squatting and underwater at the same time. Mm. So um, in other places, you see home-assisted births mm. uh, where you have a, uh, a midwife or a health professional. In, 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 in the presence of family sometimes, mm. a husband who is sometimes in the in tub, the tub yeah. with the wife and you know, as going through the pain with her and all mm. that. And emotionally, I don't know about whether it actually helps relieve the pain itself but emotionally um it's, it's such a good support for for a lot of women um i don't know how long it will take us to get there as a country do you know if people have home assisted births i mean besides rural communities where it almost is um, a norm? Yes, yes it, it is possible to get i i, I knew a midwife who was doing uh, home assisted births in, in this country she was doing water births too oh, okay. um, in this country so but it's not very common mm. and um we are tend to be afraid of what if something happens, and so how quickly can I get to a big hospital that can provide you with the right kind of service? Those are the kind of things that give that give challenges, and because our ambulance services are not too great, and our roads are choked with traffic, it makes that option a little bit challenging to offer. However, delivery is actually a natural process, and most people should be able to deliver without too much hassle. And so, if we really think about it. If a woman has had a child before, and the child she's carrying is below, let's say, 3.5 kilos, and she's an average-sized woman, um, the chance of her having, and the baby's coming with a head, and she hasn't got any medical conditions, the chances of her having a challenging pregnancy are really, a delivery, are really smaller, or should I say smaller, than you know, the other uh, ladies who don't have those kinds of things. So those may be good candidates to consider having a, a, a home birth. Mm. But... You have to pay for the service of the, of the clinician, nurse, whoever it is, for the entire duration of your labor, and that entire bill is upon your head. It may be a little bit expensive. Mm. Doc, um, so you, you just said it's a natural process. And here in Ghana, unfortunately, we have had people classify cesarean sessions as um, an option for weaker women, women who cannot stand the pain. We've seen women who say that, oh, um, my child will go through it. Don't use a knife to, 
you know, touch her in Memphis, she can do it. I did it. She can do it. And then sometimes they force these women into complications that end up, you know, sometimes in the loss of lives. There's yes. also the religious aspect of it where, oh, my pastor says I'll give birth like a Hebrew woman and all those kind of things. What informs what the best option is for a woman in terms of whether to do and um, go through the vaginal birth process or have a cesarean session? Well, in the olden days, the doctor would look at you and say, after examining one, two, three, four, I think you should have a cesarean section. Nowadays, it's a collaboration between us and the, and the patient. Yeah. So you'd examine the patient, you assess the situation, and you'd give options to the client. Usually, if you think she can give a, a vaginal delivery, the discussion of section doesn't really come up unless the client brings it up. If, however, you believe that there are things that you should be careful about, then you would have to have discussions with the client as to the fact that because of maybe your blood pressure and the levels at which it has gotten, we can't wait for the duration of labor of 10 hours. We think your blood pressure crisis is such that the baby needs to come out as quickly as possible because that is the solution to solve your hypertensive crisis. So we offer you a cesarean section because we need to take that baby out quickly so that the blood pressure can come down so that you can live. Because if you wait, it may, you may get into a situation where you may have an eclamptic fit and have a convulsion, you can have a stroke, you can, and you, and you, you can use, lose both your life and your baby's life. And therefore, we don't think it's the best option for you. Let's truncate the process by having a cesarean section. Or we've examined your baby, and your baby's size is too large for your pelvis by the assessment that we have done. And we think it will be in your best interest to have a cesarean section. Now, those, those kinds of ones, the women always t tend to say, oh, I want to try. Then you say, okay, you shall try. Then when they get to seven centimeters and it's not progressing, then they say, I want the cesarean section. I want it now. No, 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 you don't have five minutes to prepare. I want it now. <laughs> And is it possible at that stage, seven centimeters? Oh, yeah, can do a cesarean section. Seven, okay. eight, even nine. Okay. You can do a cesarean section. But the challenge with these kinds of patients is that once they get to the end of their threshold, the end of their ability to withstand, they are very impatient about getting a baby out. And, and they so, may even blame you in oh, case yes, of any if, eventuality. If, if, even that five minutes you wasted, they'll blame you because to, to her, she has made up her mind now, do it for her now. You know, I gave her options earlier on, but, you know, it happens. It's life. It's human beings. We all, we all go through that. So, um, so, like a big baby. A big baby is a problem. Um, um, the baby's position may be wrong. When we're in school, or when I was in medical school, we learned how to do deliveries with the bottom. So, the time comes, baby comes with the bottom. We're like, oh, no problem. We deliver with the bottom. Then somebody did a study, looked over 20,000 deliveries and said, oh, Babies that come with the bottom don't do as well as baby that comes with their head. The recommendation then became, oh, do cesarean sections for babies that come with their heads. They come with the bottom. That come with their bottom. If they come with the bottom, do a cesarean section. So the challenge with that is that more and more people are finishing their training not knowing how to deliver babies with their bottom. So the day you have a baby with the legs sticking out, you're in trouble because you never learned that, that whole process. And, and that is the reason why they suggested the cesarean section was that the complications are a little bit more for babies that are coming with their bottom compared to babies that are coming with their head. And so rather than get into that kind of trouble, just do a cesarean section uh, for them. So that, for example, now the recommendation would be, hey, I think we should have a cesarean section mm -hmm. because of that. But at any point in time, it's the patient's life and their body. 
And once they are well aware of the facts, the complications, the risks, and the benefits, and they make their choice, we respect their choice. If we disagree with them, we may ask you to write the fact that, yes, you've explained and I still want to go this way. But at the end of the day, it's your, the autonomy of your body is something that we respect and respect mm. very, very, very seriously. So after we, come to, we have our discussion and you've made your choice, we respect it. So it's a case of planned CS for some women and some of them in an emergency situation. Yes. So somebody can have um, a prenatal care where everything was fine, there were no signs of baby being too big or mother not having the ability because of um, hypertension issues. But the day has come and the complications set in. Mm -hmm. And so in that case, if the mother is not able to give you her consent, what do you do as a doctor? Well, trouble. Um, hopefully, during this pregnancy, you have had occasion to have met the spouse. And so you would, at that moment, this is the problem. I need to contact the spouse because she's not able to. We need some help in helping her to come to a, 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 a decision. So let's say you come to hospital and baby's heartbeat is poor, extremely poor. Um, and then we realize the fact that, and it's getting worse. It's, if you continue watching it, it's going to go out so the heartbeat goes and baby is dead. So you think you have to intervene quickly. And the client, for example, in this example is now, you know, doesn't believe, doesn't understand, still trying to work her way around because of some of these belief systems. If you have access to the spouse, you have a chat with the spouse, let the spouse talk to the, to, to, to the client to make her, help her to come to a decision that to be in the, in the, in the baby's um, best interest. The cesarean section is not because the mother cannot give birth. The cesarean section is that the baby cannot wait till the mother gives birth okay. and still be alive. Okay. So it's for the baby's sake. So we like to say that if, um, if the baby has a crisis, then we would prefer to inconvenience the mother for the baby to live. You understand? But if the baby does not have a crisis, why should the mother be inconvenienced? She can go through the process, you know, take her time and go through the process as normal. So you try, try and get the spouse, try and get a relative, try and get people to, you know, speak to her. Because in the example I gave you, time is of essence. And the longer you wait, the outcome gets worse and worse. We think only about the fact that, oh, baby dies. What about the fact that baby suffered loss of oxygen? Mm. And later on, baby is born with brain damage, right. even though born vaginally. Mm. What have we gained? Yeah. What has anybody gained from that? It's, 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 it's a distressing situation. and We'd rather not have it. I've seen a occasion where uh, a mother... A, babe, a woman refused a cesarean section. Refused. Outright. And her mother was outside. They brought her mother. And the mother too said no. And talk, talk, talk. She refused to have the cesarean section. And then the baby died. This was years ago when I was working in a public hospital. The baby died. Then the husband eventually came to visit and was told about the problem. And the woman's excuse for not having the surgery was that she said they don't have money. And the husband came and said, no, I'm wealthy. I have money. The problem is, is the woman and her mother who have this belief that they shouldn't have, a knife should not cut her. But her story gets worse. The baby still didn't come. So you had to do the CSE? Not, not me, but so somebody had to be a cesarean section for her eventually. 
What did you gain? It's a very painful experience. Very. Everybody was heartbroken because this was unnecessary. Hmm. Well, for those of you out there who still stigmatize people who have decided to have a cesarean session for whatever reason, best known to them, I hope you learn something from this and you realize that um, there's absolutely no point in stigmatizing women, especially if they have to go through this and they choose to go through it, whether it's planned, whether it's an emergency. All we need, like doctor said, is for mother and baby to be hale and hearty. There is a lot to talk about when it comes to delivery and Doc and I will be back to finish that up. for staying on the baby doctor with me Bernice Abubedulansa. Today our topic for discussion is delivery. I'm sure you've learned so much from Dr. Uh, Paddy Ayete and uh, he is with Elemas Health. He has so many years of experience, so much knowledge to share with us and we are always grateful to have him here on the baby doctor. So doc, we're talking about cesarean session and natural, well not natural because vaginal, I mean, vaginal delivery. Um, but there are, even though there are certain things that women of the older, older generation do to sometimes make the process complicated for younger women who are trying to, you know, go through the process. Like you mentioned, a mother and her daughter insisting they wouldn't have a cesarean, eventually the child dying, and eventually a cesarean happening. There are those who also have very good stories to tell of how their mothers coached them, um, especially through the the, the, the pushing process. So someone says, my mom taught me how to do it and in three pushes I was done. What are the things we need to know to help us have a successful delivery? Because sometimes it appears there's a knowledge gap, especially with the younger generation who try to discard everything that the older generation says because we feel like, <coughs> oh, please, you're old school. I mean, let's, let's do a thing. What are some of the things we need to know to help us, you know, go through this successfully? Um, labor is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So all that shouting that we are shouting when you're three, four, five centimeters, burning all your energy, you will need that energy when it comes to push. Pushing that baby out may be one of the hardest things that you ever do. When the time comes, 
and you need to push. Some people are lucky. The uterus contracts, the contractions are so strong, the baby comes out with an irresistible force. They are the lucky ones. Some other ones, they need to support the contractions for the baby to, to, to come out. So conserve your energy. There's really no advantage in all that shouting and screaming. I don't even think the shouting and screaming relieves your pain. So I don't, I don't quite get it, what they hope to gain by, apart from creating attention and causing a scene. Um, if they get a chance to have some energy drinks, energy producing drinks, like drinks that have sugar and things of that sort, please drink it. Um, sometimes they don't want you to drink too much in case you have a cesarean section. Uh, we don't expect you to drink one whole bucket of water. <laughs> but a, a glass, a small bottle or two of something that would give you energy, uh, something that contains quite a bit of sugar or something, please drink so that you have enough energy for this thing. Um, when you get a chance to sleep, sleep. Sometimes we give you injections for pain relief. Uh, my patients say it doesn't really relieve the pain too much, but it makes them sleepy. Please, when you get a chance, sleep. Because there's work to be done. But when it gets to the end, and we say you should push, we want you to use every ounce of strength in your body to push. And when you are pushing, every noise you make through your throat, you are reducing the pressure that should be pushing the baby out. So all that, ah, we don't want to hear. Because every time we hear you, it means the baby is getting less of your energy. You are using part of the energy to shout instead of focusing on the pushing. No, you are not disturbing us. You are just reducing your own efforts. Okay. And so we would encourage you to give it your hardest effort. At some point, we tell you, stop pushing. And that's because you are not contracting. Okay. Some people will now want to be pushing. When you tell them, <laughs> don't push. It's a waste of energy. Wait until we say push. Because if you're, if you're contracting and you add a push to it, you get a better result than if the uterus is flabby and you are pushing by yourself. You don't really go, you don't really go that far. And depending on how they position you, you don't ask you to hold your thigh. Holding your, putting your hand under your thigh and pulling it back not only gives you a position that allows you to push harder, but also widens your pelvis a little bit, creating a little bit more space for the baby to slip through. So all these are small things that you can try and do to try and make that particular portion of your work a whole lot easier. Mm. And, and a few rounds of sex before you go into labor allows the cervix to be soft, it dilates faster, it responds better when we give you medication to try and pump the to labor to come and can actually make your labor shorter. Okay, you heard it from Doc, not from me. So all you heard the old folks say is not a myth. At least that one is not. Um, doctors are encouraging you to have a lot more sex when your time is due. Yes. Um, it's a sperm we need, though, not a long round. It's a okay, spam. okay. So if you're going to do long rounds with no sperm, it's of no use to me. All right. We want more sperm. But Doc, um, is it the case, though, that when women are nearing their time, they actually don't want to have sex? Yes. So it's more of a chore than that? Yes. It is more of a chore at that particular point in time. But it's a necessity. Well, the same way that the woman didn't want to have sex, but when she decided she wants to have a child, she chased her husband for sex every day. <laughs> that same method. Right. She should apply it at that time. Mm. Mm, because I know women who are like, oh, that's for sex, dear. But when you want to have a baby, it's to call the man morning, afternoon, evening. Doctor says you should have sex. Uh, the husband is tired. Says, hey, doctor says you should have sex. Yeah. The woman she has the baby, then she switches up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Doc, I like the bit where you talk about pushing through the contraction because, well, 
I was coached, but that was a real shock for me because that was a real shocker rather because that is extremely painful. When, because my idea was when the pain subsides, then you rather push. <laughs> it makes sense, right? But you have to push through the pain, and there are no words to describe that level of pain. But it takes your mind off the pain a little bit, doesn't it? Because then you're focused on the pushing. Right, you're right. Mm. All right. This this delivery business is not a joke, and all the nine months of prenatal care, all the medication, all the sleepless nights, this is where it culminates, and that's why um, Doc is here to give you the tips, and I hope you've learned something, um, especially on resting, right? Because um, it's important that you store, you store up energy uh, for, like Doc says, the journey ahead. Um, Doc, in Ghana, there is a sad occurrence of maternal mortality and sometimes when you hear the reasons you just wonder if the story would have been different if certain decisions were taken earlier or probably if the person was in a different jurisdiction um, in your almost two decades of practicing what have you found to be the reasons why women lose their lives in the process of giving life it's always a sad situation when a woman loses her life it's I mean, I, I was telling you earlier that I chose this profession because people don't die. So when somebody dies, it's a big, big, big deal. Where I come from, it's even a taboo to talk about it, that somebody went to give birth and died. It's, it's not even discussed. What is that? Is that terrible? Um, there are various problems that may contribute to, to, to this. Mm -hmm. um, some start from the home and in, in, in their community. And then the ability to access health care then their ability at the healthcare point to decide that this is that this is what you need and this is where that service can be rendered and if you get to that place whether that service can be rendered at that particular place so mm -hmm. you've got people who have got a crisis at home and then the decision that okay let us go to the hospital often doesn't come early enough mm -hmm. and because husband is not home there's no money there's nobody to take care there you know all that kind of stuff some people travel long distances to get to the hospital. So by the time they get to the hospital, that delay has resulted in a situation getting worse. Uh, you get to your nearest hospital and the treatment, they either delay in discovering that this is the care that you need and therefore putting the intervention in place, or they are not capable of providing that service and they discover it early enough and now say, oh, you need to go to the big hospital. So then you travel a longer distance um, through sometimes bad roads, across a canoe, uh, water, Bridge has flooded, all that kind of circumstances. Now that it's raining, for instance, we'll have more of such problems. Till you get to the bigger hospital. The bigger hospital may be overcrowded um, and may have other emergencies before you got there. So by the time it gets to your turn, it becomes every time you come out of theater, you're looking as to who is the worst, who is in the worst condition. To Let me take that one. Yeah. Who is in the worst condition? Take that one. If you're not fortunate and you're not in the worst condition, you keep going back and back until you become a crisis and then yours may not. Um, it may not work out. And then there are problems with um, resources. Blood is an issue. I have mm -hmm. learned to operate without needing blood because I realized that you don't always get blood when you need it. So you have to figure out a way to do your surgeries in a manner that will ensure that you don't need blood. So I've, I rarely transfuse patients. But that is because I have learned to work, do my best not to require it. And occasionally you've got a patient who you've done surgery for and her blood is not clotting. And therefore, you need a lot of blood. Um, 
um, uh, when recently the Japanese, the former prime minister was shot and they got him like 100 units of blood, we're looking at each other and wondering, where can I get 100 units of in blood Ghana. for one patient in Ghana? In her blood group, mm. 100 units. Mm. It's going to be tough. So those are the kind of challenges that, you know, one, 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 one faces. And um, we are, a lot of times we are, even when you get to the center and they are able to try to save your life, they're also thinking of how to save her fertility. But sometimes you should just decide that this person, yeah. retire, she should go to retirement. And that ability to take that decision early that she needs retirement rather than let me try and save it. All these things. And that's taking out the whole woman. Yeah, take out the uterus. Oh, take out, at some point, you see, with experience and seeing the calamities that occur for inadequate this and inadequate that, you realize that sometimes the best thing to do is take out the uterus. Remove the cause of the bleeding. Let her live. Yes, she may insult you tomorrow, but she'll be alive to insult you. <laughs> I like and that. And for me, I'll take that any day. Mm. But there are also stories of women who, I had one recently um, of a doctor. Um, I, I understand that she, she used um, the IVF process, conceived, you know, went through the process, gave birth beautifully. Vitals were checked. She was okay. BP was normal. Everything, temperature. Before they realize, this lady goes into some sort of fit or seizure, and within minutes she's gone. What leads to that? I don't have the specifics of that case, mm. but if you say fit or seizure, um, there's something we call postpartum eclampsia. I cannot say specifically that happened in this obviously. case, but I can give you an example. So eclampsia is when your blood pressure goes up to a certain extent that it causes you to have a seizure. Now, when you have the seizure, before pregnancy, before delivery, and you have a seizure after delivery, the seizure after delivery is even worse than the seizure before delivery. The, the consequences of the one after is worse than the one before delivery. And, they have, and sometimes you check their blood pressure, it is normal. Everything is normal, or it appears to be normal. And the blood pressure starts rising on your blind side. It may not be a gradual process so that by the time you check it again, you understand. Or if it be hoovering around borderline, just below borderline, then it goes up. And then before you are aware, it has gone up so high to the extent that she has the seizure. If she has the seizure, and during the seizure, she vomits, and she breathes the vomit down her lungs, her own vomitus has choked her. And when your lungs are choked, your brain has four minutes. And then brain goes, and everything else follows. So it's possible that everything seems okay, mm-hmm. blood pressure goes up, and it just goes pine, pine, pine poorly mm. immediately after that. So that in this case, for example, something that could have, could have happened. Or when she had the, the seizure, the way the blood pressure went up, the seizure in addition to the blood pressure caused blood vessels to burst in her brain. She had a stroke. But the place the blood vessel burst was in a very, very critical part of the brain. Not like it takes away your speech or your left side, but the part that controls everything. It is a tough journey for a lot of women, but Doc, um, some of the unfortunate incidents happen to the babies as well. Mm -hmm. There are people who have very great, um, um, you know, reports on how the child was faring, first trimester, second trimester, the child is fine, heartbeat is good, you know, everything is perfect, and then 
we have a stillbirth. I have always wondered what causes a stillbirth. And, and sometimes you almost want to question why go through all this hard work and go home without your baby. It's yeah. very sad and frustrating. What are some of the reasons for stillbirth? Well, for a lot of them, we don't know. We can check. You can do. We can give you theories as to, but we can't tell you that it is this that caused it. Mm. For some of them, there are con- conditions that the mother had. Um, so if the mother is hypertensive, for instance, um, they can have stillbirths. Some of them would have, if the hypertension is poorly controlled or there are difficulties in controlling it or it's quite chronic, it can cause the baby to be small in size, small in size, a smaller placenta, small nourishment. Baby grows, it's not growing as well. The trick is, how do you know when to deliver? So you're trying to manage it to, get, to avoid prematurity. And one day, the placenta just says, I'm not going to work anymore. Baby is dead. We've got people who are diabetics. Diabetics are notorious for unexplained fetal deaths at near term. Everything can be going okay. Then one day, heartbeat is gone. So these, these two conditions, at least we know the mother had something that these are related to. But there are patients that, that we can't find a, a, a cause. There's a lady who, she was, everything was doing okay. Then around, let's say 35, 36 weeks, the placenta separated from the wall. You check her blood pressure is normal. Usually that happens due to blood pressure issues. But she had a normal blood pressure. But the placenta separated from the wall. And so the baby wasn't getting oxygen because now there's a gap. The placenta is no longer getting blood to take the oxygen and give to the baby. Baby basically lacked oxygen and died. But doc, are there ways as a mother you can tell if there's something happening to my baby, right? Um, Yeah, so that, you know, we can avoid some of these things. Okay. So every, every mother should know how her baby behaves. And a mother who is observant to tell you, when I drink coke, this is how it behaves. When I drink tea with plenty of sugar, if I eat ice cream, this how it behaves. <laughs> if I eat yam, this is how it behaves. If I eat, so any mother who is observant tends to know how the baby behaves. By the way, the coke is plenty of sugar, so then the baby gets hyperactive. Reasons why you shouldn't give coke to your young children, mm. especially in the evenings. Otherwise, you won't sleep. <laughs> it's the biggest mistake you can make. <laughs> Sleepless nights. No, you and the baby, you all stay awake that night. Their energy level becomes Superman level. Mm. So, but, you know, um, a mother should be able to tell how the baby behaves during, based on what you are going through. When your heart rate goes up, the baby's heart rate too goes up. It, It kind of reflects some of these things. So if your baby normally behaves in a particular way, and you notice a change, please, give your doctor a call. Pass by. Let them just check your baby for you. Because there have been patients who have said, I've not felt my baby moving today like I normally feel. They come to the hospital and you check and the heartbeat is really slow. In other words, you caught the heartbeat before it went. Yeah. Those are the ones that you want to get them into theater within an hour and taking that baby out. If you can do it in 20 minutes, you'll be happy. Rush to theater. <laughs> take that baby out because you are trying to take it out before the heart eventually stops. And those babies like that have been saved and came out very normal. No damage or anything. But that's because they were caught before they went, only because the mother was vigilant. Then there are some mothers too who come and see you and when you ask them, what was the last time you felt the baby moving? They say, four days ago. Then they say, why didn't you come to the hospital? Oh, I was waiting till my next appointment. So, in fact, I only came today because I saw some blood. So I was wondering why. That's why I came. She hasn't felt a baby for four days. And it was all right with her. 
There's something we call a kick count, which is a chart that we, we tell you to keep. And you count from when the time you start counting, how much time does it take you to get 10 kicks? And if you know your average, that is within four hours, I get 10 kicks. Then you know that the day in four hours, you've gotten six. Something is not right. You understand? So if we need you to monitor, we ask you. Sometimes we give you a chart to be able to do it. But on average, a mother should be able to tell that, Charlie, today I'm not feeling my baby like usual. Mm. And have it checked out. Look, there's nothing better than wasting your time and money to go to the hospital for them to check the baby and they tell you that baby is fine, go. Because you don't want them to tell you, we checked and the baby is not fine. That means we have to rush to an emergency. But the worst news of all is that you didn't check and the baby has passed. Wow. And maybe you could have done something. So it's better to be wrong than oh, sorry. It's better to be wrong. So please don't let anyone bully you into thinking that you're being too dramatic. Because no, 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 you know, sometimes, especially if you're a first time mom, oh, these things happen. You know, you hear, oh, why are you being too, oh, too excited? These things happen. Uh, the midwife has got a, 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 a machine, it's a small Doppler. She can put it on a baby, find the heartbeat, and we'll look at the trend of the heartbeat. And if she notices that the trend is good, she can tell you that, oh, your heartbeat has been persistently good over a few, over like 10 minutes. I think you are being a bit too anxious. It's, it looks good. Mm -hmm. Or there's a machine we call a CTG that draws a graph that can actually connect you to, and then it will draw a graph. It can observe the CTG over a period of time. And so the pattern is good, you are okay. And then there are sometimes you look at CTG and say, no, the pattern is bad. And I think we need to intervene and deliver you as quickly as possible. Well, uh, I hope you've learned so much. I have personally learned so much. You know what? Um, we will be uploading these episodes, share them with a friend so that somebody's life will be saved. Most importantly, uh, one of the things you should take away from today's episode is that as a mother, as a pregnant woman, woman, always understand what's happening with you and don't be shy to call your doctor or don't think that you'll be, uh, you know, called too known or too excited and so you just um, ignore some of these important um, signals that your baby may be giving you. I'll be back to wrap up with Doc but here are some tips for you today. Tidbits on labor and delivery. Know the signs of true labor. Report early to the clinic when you see signs of labor. Listen to your care provider's instructions when in labor. To help deliver your baby safely. We look forward to a smooth delivery and a healthy child. Hope you learned something from those tips. Uh, it's now time to wrap up with Dr. Paddy Aete. He is at Elimas Health and he is an obstetrician gynecologist. Doc, thank you so much for joining us today. So, your parting words to any woman who's hoping to have a baby in the process or bringing a child to this earth, or just at the point where we have to push? Um, have a baby as early as you can, if you can. Um, uh, you can always do a lot of things in life, but you can't always have a baby. Uh, pregnancy can be a relatively pleasant experience if you get the right kind of support and you follow the advice that has been given to you, and you look after yourself. Um, know your body, know your baby, listen to your baby, and be your own advocate. When you, if you feel something is wrong, 
please insist that you are you are looked at. Labor is challenging. It can be made easier. And um, if you go about it properly, it is not as bad as the stories that, as, as you have been told. Mm. And um, we are looking forward to seeing you with your baby and celebrating you on the next Mother's Day. Great. I like that. So, LMS Health is looking forward to seeing you as well. Um, if you need any help on fertility issues, Doc is ready to help you. He and, he and his team, well-experienced team, you can reach them on 024-80-755-68. Or you can locate them at 10A Volta Street Airport Residential Area, um, very close to the National Service Secretariat, just down the road, relatively opposite that facility. And so please reach Dr. Paddy Ayete, and he will be there to help you and give you all the assistance that you need. Well, let me say a very big thank you to Azel Vogue for clothing me today. You can reach Azel on these numbers, uh, 0288-616161, 0288-616161. That'll be it for today's edition of The Baby Doctor. A big thank you as well to Think Media. Anything media, Think Media has got you covered on that. We'll see you again in our next episode. I'm Bernice Abubedulansa. Until then, take care and always remember that babies are special and that's why we give them all the attention they deserve. He brings my opponent sits here and turns against the motion for once having for making money legally wrong. Hey.
The biggest debate competition in Ghana is back. Which side do you represent? For or against the motion? Stay glued to your superstation Love 99.5 FM, Joy Learning and Joy Prime as we bring to you the biggest stage where schools in Ashanti show their prowess through debate. Rally behind your alma mater to glory as gallant young men and women from the various senior high schools in Ashanti elucidate their stance on matters of national interest. Venue is the Christian Service University College. Catch us live on Love 99.5 FM on Facebook at Love 99.5 FM, Joy Learning and Joy Prime 2 p.m. each day. The Love of some High School's debate, trumpeting the voice of young ones on issues of national interest. This event is brought to you by your superstation Love 99.5 FM, the Ashanti Regional SRC and the Regional Directorate of Ghana Education Service Ashanti and CHAS. This program is in partnership with Pepsodent. Rasta Chocomold from Twilliam Industries, Christian Service University College, Jackson Educational Complex, Cowbell, Madame Catherine, Frightall and Fortune Rise from Wilma, and sponsored by Zest Consult, Pidato Company Limited, CBS Industries, Top Choco, Ultimate Fashions, Flora Tissues, supported by We've had news file over the weekend and uh, an interesting part of the conversation. Focused... Oh no, we are out of range. Oh, don't worry, Daddy. I have Alex in my bag. Alex, what? Alexa, open Multimedia Ghana and play Joy FM. Super Hits Radio, Radio. Joy 99.7. Listen to Joy FM. Hits FM, Love FM, live on your Amazon Echo. Listen to your favorite multimedia radio stations live on your Amazon Echo device by saying, Alexa, open Multimedia Ghana, play Joy FM or Hits FM or Love FM or catch up on your favorite podcast by saying, Alexa, play and then the name of your favorite podcast from Multimedia Ghana. For a list of all podcasts available, say Alexa. Ask Multimedia Ghana to browse programs. On air. And we are back like we never lost signal. Alexa, welcome to Multimedia. Every father deserves to be celebrated. Let Malcolm help you brighten that's big day. Enjoy a whopping 20% discount on your purchases from this Friday 16th to Sunday 18th. Put a smile on your daddy's face. Make this Father's Day even more special with Malcolm. Terms and conditions apply. Malcolm, where Ghana shops. Even the builders of his house and sellers of his cars give him a percentage for every contract he brings. My opponent sits here and turns against the motion for once having for making money legally. Wrong! 
The biggest debate competition in Ghana is back. Which side do you represent? For or against the motion? Stay glued to your superstation Love 99.5 FM, Joy Learning and Joy Prime as we bring to you the biggest stage where schools in Ashanti show their prowess through debate. Rally behind your alma mater to glory as gallant young men and women. What sets University of Phoenix business degrees apart? Specialization and speed to completion. We offer 25 online business program options so you can choose your focus. Plus a competency-based MBA that you can finish in 12 months for under $10,000. And at University of Phoenix, your eligible transfer credits could cover up to 75% of your bachelor's degree. Get started at phoenix.edu. The various senior high schools in Ashanti elucidate their stance on matters of national interest. Venue is the Christian Service University College. Catch us live on Love 99.5 FM on Facebook at Love 99.5 FM, Joy Learning and Joy Prime, 2 p.m. each day. The Love of High Schools debate, trumpeting the voice of young ones on issues of national interest. This event is brought to you by your superstation, Love 99.5 FM, the Ashanti Regional SRC, and the Regional Directorate of Ghana Education Service Ashanti and Chas. This program is in partnership with Pepsodent, Rasta Choco Molds from Twilliam Industries, Christian Service University College, Jackson Educational Complex, Cowbell, Madame Catherine, Fritol and Fortune Rise from Wilma, and sponsored by Zest Consult, Pidato Company Limited, CBS Industries, Top Choco. Ultimate Fashions, Flora Tissues, supported by For the most anticipated youth empowerment event of the year, the Magdan Youth Connect Summit is back. This time, it's coming to the vibrant city of Cape Coast. Get ready to connect with Dr. Daniel McCauley. Friday, 30th June 2023 at the new Examination Center, University of Cape Coast, from 3 p.m. sharp. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to engage in thought-provoking panel discussions and unlock your full potential. Mark your calendars and get ready for an unforgettable Day of inspiration, networking, and empowerment at the McDonald Youth Connect Summit 2023 on Friday, 30th June 2023, at the new Examination Center, University of Cape Coast, from 3 p.m. sharp. tackle misinformation and online abuse of journalists. I try to make this as interactive as possible, so if you want to stop me along the line, you can feel free and do so. Now, in Ghana, we know that misinformation and online abuse of journalists are serious threats to the freedom of expression and the quality of information in the digital age. Well, in Ghana, where the media landscape is vibrant and diverse, Journalists who report on sensitive or controversial issues often face harassment, intimidation, and violence from various actors. Yes, we smile, but it's real. The intimidation is real. 
and it includes, we get it from actors including political parties, security forces, like my brother has gone through, and then anonymous online users. It could be you, it could be you, because we don't get to see you behind your social media platforms, so you get to abuse journalists. Now these attacks not only affect the physical and psychological well-being of journalists, but also undermines our professional credibility and public trust. People get to say all kinds of things, target your person to ensure that those who listen to you do not believe the things you say. I don't have time, I could have gone round the room to ask what your own definition of misinformation will be, disinformation and malinformation, and what your own understanding of this is. But misinformation, like you see there, is false information that is shared inadvertently without meaning to cause harm. That's misinformation. When you're disinformation, you are intending to cause the harm by deliberately sharing false information. Then when we talk about malinformation, genuine information or opinion shared to cause harm, including hate speech and harassment. Now let's talk about the types of misinformation that we have. Like many countries around the world, Ghana is also grappling with the challenges of misinformation. And we won't go far, COVID-19. When we had COVID-19, that's when we saw the height of misinformation in this country. So uh, we heard about the name tree effect, what um, lemon and uh, you know, uh, hot water can do. We've had all kinds of things when it comes to misinformation. So thankfully, my late boss, for instance, made sure that we created a program just dedicated to COVID to cure that kind of misinformation. And thankfully, fellow Ghanaians was aired just around the time that we were airing it. So it's on Sunday evenings and most people tuned in at that time just to get some information when it comes to COVID-19. Not to talk about the conspiracy theories when it comes to vaccines. Many people, I don't know this room, how many people have been vaccinated against COVID-19. So that's the typical kind of misinformation that we witnessed when it came to COVID-19. Then we talk about election misinformation. That, that's another type, a major type of misinformation that we have. So it's often prevalent during elections in Ghana and false information and conspiracy theories spread quickly, especially on social media. So for example, during the 2020 elections, we all heard there were rumors circulating, even prior to that in 2008, we heard information about one of the candidates or the other being sick and not being able to contest amongst others. And 2024 election is lurking around the corner. And so you have to look out, to my fellow journalists, we need to look out for, you know, fake news. Not from journalists in the media, but for users of social media like yourself, most of the time not intending to cause harm, but believing everything you see on social media and bringing it onto the traditional medium, which has the potential of misinforming, disinforming and malinforming. And then we have the witchcraft allegations when it comes to another type of misinformation. Many of you have heard about the witches camps that we have in the northern part of the country. I'm very passionate about this particular issue, but I'm sure that we'll get another time to tackle this properly. We know Ghana has a history of witchcraft allegations and with people in family members who have as high as aggregate 40 being accused in BEC of being accused of being witches just because they had aggregate 40 in BEC because nobody has done it before in their family or in the districts. 
You know what 40 means, to get aggregate 40 in BEC, and for someone to be accused of getting aggregate 40 and going to SHS, then it means that your mother is a witch, you're, you're mostly is women that are accused, so mothers and the daughters are witches. They go to camps and they have to pay 600 CDs and more to be in this witches' camps, which we are told will be abolished. But that's another topic for another day. We then talk about political misinformation as well, and it's common in Ghana as well, with false information and conspiracy theories often used to undermine opponents. And we know that fake statements are now the order of the day, to the extent that people are faking statements from the presidency with a green paper. And you have to check, double check, to us as journalists, now what we see on social media is difficult to believe without verifying. We've heard stop, reflect, and verify. And that's what we need to do going forward. The age of artificial intelligence is another order of the day. I don't know how many of you know about ChatGPT. How many of you know? Okay, yeah, students are using chat. Please don't use it for academic work. <laughs> you don't have to do that. So while AI can be used to develop and combat fake news. There are also concerns that it could be used to promote and amplify false information. So one way that AI could be used to promote fake news is through the use of deep fakes. We're going to deep fakes and shallow fakes. I don't know if um, you've heard about it. So with the deep fakes, there are manipulated images or videos that are created using AI, making it difficult to distinguish between uh, the genuine content and the fake content. So they can be used to spread false information and manipulate public opinion, particularly uh, during political campaigns. We've seen it elsewhere. And then as against the shallow fakes, on the other hand, are videos or images that have been edited or manipulated using simple software tools. So that's a bit high tech. But we are getting there to that point where people are using AI. Even though AI can also help combat misinformation, it's also a good way people use. We've seen the use of the hashtags, the algorithms that we see on social media, a bit technical for some of you, but that's what is being used now. We've seen the error of this hashtag. There's a popular hashtag that we all saw on social media. For those of you who use Twitter, just when Ken must go came, moments after we saw Ken must stay. And so the use of hashtags is also a good way of spreading misinformation, depending on how you look at it. I'll quickly then go into our press freedom outlook as a country. We've talked enough about we being 60th out of 180 countries, and that's our ranking as we speak. As bad as it is from being first in Africa, now this is where we are when it comes to the world rankings. And we've seen that United States Department um, you know, report that also came out, human rights practices for 2022. And Ghana was cited for various human rights violations. It's been counted. People will say all kinds of things. But according to the report, there are severe limitations on free expression and media, including violence and threats of violence against journalists, unjustified arrests or prosecution of journalists, substantial interference with the freedom of peaceful assembly and government corruption. These are severe issues that ought to be tackled. The report released in April 2023 also highlighted a range of abuses, including arbitrary or unlawful killings. We have extrajudicial killings and torture or cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment carried out by the government or on its behalf. Political and biased media material has emerged as a result of politicians' ownership ownership of media houses, mostly by these political actors, is a key concern. So this is as a result of the 1992 Constitution's provision 
permitting new media outlets to be established. We have numerous privately owned uh, media outlets, including Joy News, we have The City, we have TV3, we have Peace, all well linked and exhibit a high level of plurality and variety. Well, we are autonomous. We know about GBC, state-owned. So we, we, I won't even uh, go into the details of that and whether they will be truly independent when it comes to uh, broadcasting amongst others. We'll talk about the political context. Journalists have increasingly turned to self-censorship. We're getting into the practicality of online abuse amongst others. So even though Ghana is seen as a regional leader in this instability, there are concerns when it comes to this particular political context. We talk about the media ownership. About a third of media companies in the nation are controlled by politicians or individuals connected to the two major political parties. Some of the National Media Commission's members, we know, even though about 15 of them representing various institutions, about four of them are also appointed by government. Although we would say they have no say in the appointment of board members of privately owned media organizations, but they have a say in terms of uh, what we do. But the legal framework also, these are uh, matters that I'm sure Mr. Tanko will deal with much later. There are concerns we've heard from the GJA, for instance, and the media on how even though sedition and criminal libel uh, has been expunged since 2001, there are concerns about other laws being smuggled in through the back door. Communications Act, Criminal Code. It appears it's only when journalists speak that these acts or these laws are activated. We can talk about the number of journalists that have been arrested as a result of this particular law. But when it comes to other politicians perpetuating these same acts on journalists, it appears these laws become dormant. But these are the issues we'll get into. We'll talk about the economic context as well. Most media organizations in Ghana, it goes without saying, are struggling financially, which is evident in the low pay. Am I speaking for my colleagues? Yeah. And subpar working conditions for journalists. The failure of newspapers to make enough money. How many people would even buy? To pay their operating expenses, sometimes resulting in their demise after just a few months. On the other side, Government advertising contracts are given to state-owned media and they are compensated for the news stories they produce. He who calls the, 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 whoever pays the piper actually calls the tune. Allocating state advertising uh, you know, is done using opaque and unfair means, we are told. So I'll get into now the social-cultural context as well. In Ghana, culture has never been a barrier to journalism. There's widespread religious and cultural tolerance in the nation which enables journalists to cover all social concerns without any special difficulty or concern for retaliation. Now we get into the safety issues of journalists. We've talked about it extensively. But can you imagine that on the day that we are celebrating press freedom, we have a political actor and another person walk into a radio station during a live show that on radio and attack a journalist whilst doing their work on a day we call Press Freedom Day and this is just last week and of course the police are assuring that something will be done but we wonder if indeed something will be done when my colleague Latif Idris was attacked at the police headquarters 
and at this point, a media house is taking on the police at the courts, trying to get justice. Can we win against a state institution like the police? Is another concern. We know that politicians and persons affiliated to politicians keep threatening investigative journalists with death. Most instances of police brutality against journalists go unpunished, and we hope to see what will happen in the Latif Idris case. Now we're going to sources of misinformation and online abuse. Misinformation and online abuse are serious threats to the freedom of expression and the quality of democracy. We know about bloggers, the advent of citizen journalists in this country. Now everybody is a journalist to the extent that if something happens, people get to an accident scene, the first thing people do is to bring out their phones, to start filming and be the first to put it out on their social media platforms, rather than calling for help for people. To get the numbers on their Twitter accounts, on their TikTok pages, that is what is happening now. I'll go into the reasons for misinformation. Mostly it's personal interests, political interests, and social interests. We have issues of confirmation bias. People tend to believe information that confirm their existing beliefs, rather than actually going into what the issue is, they ignore information that contradicts theirs. They lack critical thinking. Most of us will not want to think critically. We will not take the time to fact check or critically evaluate the information that we receive before sharing it. Whatever we see on our WhatsApp platforms, the first instinct is to share. Cognitive limitations are issues that we also need to look at. Misinformation from trusted sources even well-respected sources can sometimes make mistakes or have their own biases leading to the spread of inaccurate information. Intentional misinformation is one thing that we also need to kill. Social media algorithms is the order of the day. People want to trend. Lack of media literacy is also a key concern. Lack of information. People want to feed their thoughts, so whatever it is, they will take. Biases and beliefs. So if you're a media station that are not feeding into this, you are not on the top of agenda for people. Human error. We know that mistakes can happen in the reporting and dissemination of information. Journalists are not infallible. But most of this leads to inaccurate information. And it's important to be aware of these causes and take steps to verify information before sharing it, especially on our social media platforms. Most of the time, things happen outside this country and because it's shared on social media, people share it as though it has happened in this country. Now I'll get into the practical examples and impact of online abuse. Even though we have the social media boom in Ghana and giving its millions of users, this room alone, everybody owns an account. A 2020 survey by UNESCO in 15 countries, including Ghana, found shockingly that 75% of women said they had experienced online violence with platforms like Facebook, Twitter, amongst others. So this is the, 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 where we are when it comes to um, online abuse, especially perpetrated on women. I'm sure you heard. A lot of women journalists in this country now are faced with online abuse. I have a few examples. Alma, we know that Alliance for Women in Media Africa, also had a survey similar to this. It's called the State of the Digital Space in Ghana for Women. 
It was found that women in Ghana experienced high levels of online harassment and abuse, including cyberbullying, hate speech, and revenge porn. The report also revealed that social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and WhatsApp are mostly used platforms. There's a report also from the Media Foundation for West Africa. The latest state of the media report that we have from the University of Ghana also highlights the ratio. Mr. W.V. might be attacked online, but the attack I will get is much more. And it's mostly not targeted at the work that I do, but at my person. Just because you may have said something that did not make somebody happy. My colleague Sewa Amihe, I'm sure, is no stranger to all of you. On social media, at some point, she said, I'm done. And that if she ever came back to life, she would never do this job. That's how bad it is. She's not alone. My colleague, Efia Pukia of Despite Media, I'm sure you all know her, Vim Lady. She may have a Vim. But when it comes to the online abuse, at some point she says, Ghana Journalist Association, you surprised me to the core. If I die and come back, I will never return as a journalist. She adds, Allah. <laughs> and then in December 2022, another leading female journalist, that's Estelle Efiapokia, she also expressed her frustration on Facebook on what she believed was the inaction of um, DJA. The DJA fighting the cause of especially women is another issue that we will come to subsequently. Now, Mama Majimana Santi, she used to be with City. She's now with Routers. And she also talks about the harassment. She says it's hurtful. You hear her on radio, she's still strong, but she goes through personal issues when it comes to social media and online abuse. And she says, I have considered deleting my account before but that will be ceding space to people who do not contribute anything besides hate to national conversations. So I refuse to yield my voice to them. She's standing strong, but she's going through it and venting it on social media. She's not alone. Let's talk about my colleague, Araba Kumsin. We know what she's also been through on social media because of Joy News editorial. She brings it every Friday, but she goes through a lot when it comes to online abuse, when it's shared on platforms. Whoever the editorial is against and they are attack dogs, even though they don't want to be called attack dogs, but attack dogs they are because they go after you. What do bulldogs do when you unleash them on your opponent? They go attacking. We've heard Kennedy Japan, who, is, who happens to be the chairman of the Defense and Interior Committee of Parliament, and we hear him go after journalists. It's not just Araba Kumsin that Kennedy Japan has gone after. It's gone after Iraso Sasari Donko, my another colleague, after the Injura incident, asking that whoever sees him should beat him up. This matter has been reported to the police, both at the Ashanti region and then also the national level, up until now. Nothing has happened. Imagine if Rasasaranko mentioned that anybody should go after Kennedy Japan. The issue about Communications Act, criminal code, will be activated because it's a journalist that has made a comment. But when it comes to a political actor, it appears the law is applied differently. And yet we proven wrong that something will happen. Let's not talk about Manasseh Azuriawini. I'm sure you've seen, you've heard if you're on social media, you've seen the attacks. But he is a man, maybe he's able to take it. But I know what he also goes through, the threat on, on his family. For days when he releases an investigative piece, cannot stay at home because of the abuse. In some cases, death threats. 
My colleague Evan Spencer, after announcing, uh, you know, the election results or calling it or whatever it is that we do during election, the death threats that they receive in their inboxes in, on their social media platforms. Kutinati is another joint news investigative journalist. After every investigative piece, find another place to stay because you will be tailed, you will be trailed. People will follow you all the way to your homes and they will not even hide it. Send you messages that will know where you are will come after you. Malik Sulemana. These and many more are some of the, you know, physical things that happen when it comes to the impact of online abuse. We'll go on. So these are some of the practical examples that we've seen. And we can't say that this will not have psychological effects or some distress on the journalists. It leads to self-censorship because you have people calling you as a woman. You have children, you have family members, they may have husbands, they may have partners. What this does to the whole family system is enormous. It creates confusion and polarization among citizens, hamper development efforts amongst others. So this is just but a few of the things that we go through and the impact that it has when it comes to the line of work and the things that we do. Physical harm, we can't talk about that. People talk about providing security, but when it comes to the case that most of the security agencies are the ones that are perpetrating this violence, it's, it's difficult now for you to run to them for that kind of protection. We'll go on to the solutions on the way forward because I'm sure that if we have questions, we can get into it. So for my colleague journalists and for you who use social media, and you know that misinformation and disinformation can also be perpetrated by you. It's a time for fact-checking. There have been a lot of fact-checking. We have a system in-house at Join News that we call fact-checking, which is done every Wednesday, to ensure that we check, double-check, and check even what political actors say, what we see on social media, so that we do not bring social media misinformation onto traditional media to feed people. There should be some digital literacy or the ability to use digital tools effectively and it's essential for identifying and tackling misinformation. Sometimes now you can see reverse that it's being used for pictures that we see on social media to be sure that indeed this um, is accurate. And then we should have some collaboration between media organizations fact-checking platforms, we've heard the U.S. Embassy talk about this, that has already been done, and all our stakeholders can be critical for tackling misinformation. But also some form of regulation. Government regulation can play a role in tackling misinformation by setting standards for media content, not to control what we do, but to help in tackling this. AI, like I said, is also a way that we can use to, to tackle misinformation. It's a tool that can be used to help combat the problem of fake news. One of the main advantages um, that AI is in its ability to analyze large amounts of data quickly and effectively. So if it's a bit difficult for US media houses, we can do that and ensure that um, we are able to check and double check. Very important. At Joy News, nothing goes on there without fact checking. It has to be checked and double checked. So in conclusion, Misinformation and online abuse of journalists are serious challenges that need to be addressed urgently in Ghana. There is a need for more awareness raising, educating and training on how to identify and counter misinformation and online abuse of journalists among journalists themselves.
media organizations, civil society groups, policymakers, and the general public. There's also the need for more legal protection, ethical standards, and professional solidarity for journalists who face misinformation and online abuse. Journalists speaks for everyone but ourselves. Who speaks for the journalists? Finally, there is a need for more collaboration and dialogue among all stakeholders to promote a culture of respect, tolerance, and accountability in the media space. It's also important to know that online abuse can have a chilling effect on journalists and our ability to do our job. And it is essential that steps are taken to protect journalists. We speak for, we speak for the academicians. When your pay is not coming, you tag goes to journalists. When TUC clocks out one's cola, it's a journalist that speaks. When students are on strike, SRC, it's a journalist that we call. Even now, we've heard the minister talk about how journalists should protect, promote the agenda that you have. But journalists, we are among the least paid. I've never heard any doctor talk about the plight of journalists. At least sometimes we have the U.S. Embassy talk about the plight of journalists. But who speaks for the journalists? That's what we should consider when we want to attack journalists and abuse them online. In spite of all the challenges we face, we have a voice. Imagine you get up one day and there's no radio. There's no news. For a day or two, you may take it for granted today. But if it happens, you tune in at midday, and there's no effort to give the news. You're wondering, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? You hear she on the radio. That's how important we are. Changed. No, 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 no. I think here looks the same. Here looks the same. Just the shops. Because okay. this, here, here used to be plain. There, was, okay. there, there were nothing. Here. This building wasn't here. Okay, so this is yeah, new. Yeah, this building wasn't here. So this is new, and this shop is also new. But oh. they got and everything to the studio. They are it's still, the same. Yes, the same. The same. Nothing has changed. Okay. Here. After you then, because I don't know the place. Yeah, nothing has changed here. All this were like this is not no day here at all. Okay. It's new. Yes, everything here is new. Like, uh, so good afternoon. Some of the shows. Wow. I mean, 
I witnessed uh, the making here. <laughs> here for a while. Hello. This building, this building was new. Long ago. This one? Yes, long ago. Yeah. Oh, really? Is it still here? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Hey, welcome. Thank you, Omi. Omi and Patrick. Hey, welcome. Yes, so um, one place to you. And I'm going to so, yeah, man, there's one place, one place, man. Where, 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 you know, Tema used to be like a rap kind of kind of place. Like mm. all the rappers, they come, they come here. So we have to. I'll be standing here like this. Then the city is full, so I have to be here looking at looking at them like this. Praying that to get to my time now, going there to rap. Wow. Name all the rappers. Were you that tall when you when you when you came there? Oh, you know I've grown. A bit, so I was of course. Like this. Yes. So I can imagine. Yeah, this met me studio where all the stars. Are. In Tema, this is the studio they used to come to. Met me. Met Mix. Met Mix. Can we check check yeah. the studio out? Yeah, sure, sure. Hey, I bet that from the mechanic in the phone. One of the rappers from way back. This guy used to. I don't know if you remember mechanic in the Doctor Duncan Kasahari. Yes, this guy. And Adam, 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 Adam. Adam FM. One time. Good to see you. This is Met Mix himself. You, yes. you, 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 re you realize that when we were at um, K-Way Studio, it was all white. Yeah, this is And then all here, black. all black. I mean, you see, that feeling when you are recording, and then the place is just, I mean, dark. I mean, it's like, it's like you are alone. Mm. I mean, it takes you deep. Yes, this is, yeah, this is one place to do. This is where all started. And, and I want to tell the fans, this place is where I met Andrew, finally, and we became a group. This studio is where Ketch, everything Ketcher started. And this is the, he, he's the guy that has been recording us, demos, recording us. Yeah, Met Mix. Met Mix, one place studio. One place studio. He's one of the engineers that's been, I mean, years ago, Tema, one of the, um, um, among the first engineers. I would, I would say that Charlie, Tema, come to one here, he's the first engineer. Yeah, yeah engineer. first sound engineer. I mean, talk yeah, that of, was talk, talk, talk of, stars. I mean, um, a frame beat worked with him, was working Posse here G, for him. Posse G, G was also coming I here. Mean, um, um, Boni. Boni, Mix Master Gazi, um, 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 a oh. Foxy beat that we've been recording yes, with. They were all I mean, here. name them, yes, everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Smoke, yeah. Smoke, Smoke beat. beat, I mean, everybody. I mean, wow. um, Kill Beat yes, comes yes, here sometimes. Trust me, also work Kill Beat, they all come here everybody. to record. And talk of the artists, some Sarkwad here, Keche, everybody, name them, everybody, everybody. Everybody. You understand? Yeah. So, this is the place. I mean, this is where. I don't even remember the song. Ademado. Yeah. The first one was done in this studio. Are they go crazy? Yeah, the yeah. first one was uh, uh, that's a melody. Under, under. 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 Yeah, this is where he always is. So, Met Mix. Yeah. Met Mix, yes. we're grateful. Keche, mm. I mean, they've, they've, they've mentioned your name. Yeah. They said that you are very instrumental in their career, sure. apparently. Sure. Uh, they met here as a group. But tell me, tell me, uh, what do you, you make? Know, everything started uh, mm. way back. That was um, the year 2000. Yeah, then I was in the studio being instrumental for one of one of my artists. Mm. And this guy, um, 
Andrew. He just entered into the studio, like, yeah, he, he was coming to make some inquiries, you know. So from there, I told him, like, uh, what's up, bro? Moment he entered into my studio, mm. when I was playing some instrument, I was recording someone, he started singing on it. And I was like, wow, who is this guy? So the moment I, I, I stood up and then I, I, I turned up to him, it was like, ah, what's up? Why are you looking at me like this? <laughs> You know, so yeah. it start, it start, then there you now it start, it start to um, start dropping. Uh. Everything got like, ah, let me, let me, let me just try him from that side. And we all became like brothers from the one from two thousand. Yeah, two thousand one. He hasn't, he hasn't, yeah. he hasn't, he hasn't take a penny. Not to be one gun of me as an artist. And when, when we came first, it was like a kiosk, a small little kiosk. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, with yeah, small yeah. fan. And then yeah. sometimes you record, you will see in Kokosha. And, and you know one thing, the beautiful part is um, this guy is very good. Mm. Yeah, he's very, very good when it comes to music and when it comes to like personal issues. Yeah, so it was easy working with he's, him. Yeah, he's yeah. very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let's say this kind of um, upcoming artist, sometimes they used to come to the studio, yeah. they want to record and all that. Maybe someone wants to feature Keche or something. I, I would just call him and then tell him that, oh, bro, I have this guy here, he wants to record a song. You know, Keche will tell me, oh, maybe something small. I'll just, I'll just talk to the person, the person will issue money and all that. He will work on it, but those other guys, I will never, I won't mention him, but okay. those other guys, <laughs> oh, Charlie. <laughs> But what not, do you make of, of their their journey so far? Oh, so far they are good. Like everything is on point. They are they are good. Cause I, I really like them. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Baye, like how many years? Nina, you want much? Hey, actually, I'm not about <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like 15, 15, 16 years. Yeah. 